You're listening to Be Health Connected, a podcast by the St. Louis Area Business Health Coalition. Your host for today's episode is Lauren Rimsbecker, BHC Senior Director of Member Engagement and Communications. I'm Lauren Remsbecker, and welcome back to the BHC's Be Health Connected podcast. As part of a special three-part podcast series on building resilience in a post-pandemic world, the BHC is exploring next steps for individuals, businesses, and our communities in recovering from the current crisis and preparing for the next. For the second episode in this series, I am pleased to be joined by Dr. John Wigness Warren, or like many like to call him, Dr. Wig, to talk about the current state of the pandemic, including new emerging variants and vaccine safety consideration, as well as insights regarding the impact of COVID-19 on the healthcare delivery system and what trends can be expected in the future. Dr. Wig is board certified in internal medicine and nephrology and has 15 years of experience in the pharmaceuticals, medical device, and health services industry. As chief medical officer, Dr. Wig leads Express Scripts in clinical strategy and market development. And throughout the pandemic, he has focused his expertise in educating clients through his popular video series, Clinically Speaking with Dr. Wig. Thank you so much for being our guest today. It's been a little over a year now since we started first hearing about COVID-19. So I wanted to open up today's episode by asking you, How do you feel about the state of the pandemic in our country? Are you optimistic or what concerns do you have? Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a great question. I think it's, um, you know, it's sort of what's top of mind to most people is sort of when are we getting to some sense of normalcy, but, you know, some of the reasons why I'm optimistic is number one, you know, just from a, just from a medical achievement perspective, this is probably if not one of the single biggest medical achievements in healthcare, um, when you think about the fact that, you know, it took a year to get to a vaccine and just in that, you know, that, that should be lauded. Um, you know, I, I think the, the other aspect is that, you know, good and bad is that it's, this is the single largest sort of vaccine distribution event in probably human history. And the bad thing is that it is the single biggest vaccine distribution event in human history. So, there's a lot of challenges, but there's a lot of, you know, reasons to really be proud of sort of what we've done. I think from a data perspective, um, you know, I think just focusing on the U.S., we already know that 30 million people were infected with COVID. And so there is some degree of immunity there. And if you, you know, think that, you know, 50% of people don't even know they have the infection, a lot of people feel that that 30 million number is probably closer to 100 million. And so a third of the country likely has some degree of immunity. And then when you look at what's been happening with vaccines and give a lot of credit to the administration, you know, we're now up to a daily average of three to four million vaccinations a day. At that rate, it would take about three months to vaccinate 75 percent of the population. And we already know that, you know, there's been 120 million shots in arms and 60 million people that have actually been fully vaccinated. So, uh, you know, we're we have a pretty significant um you know, at least, um, you know, we've we've made some significant progress in terms of just achieving some immunity already. And so that's really great to see. And on top of that, you know, you have case numbers that have gone from 250,000 cases a day in December down to 50,000 to 60,000 cases a day. So when you put all that in perspective, we've made a lot of progress. And so that's why I'm 
very optimistic if you continue to see sort of similar, you know, um, efforts over the next month or two, we're going to be, I think, in a good place. Um, so that that's sort of uh, very positive. I think, you know, just very quickly as to, you know, maybe some of the headwinds on that is that, you know, we're still not seeing a reduction in those daily numbers of infections. I think we're beginning to see sort of the emergence of variants and, and maybe some loosening of some social distancing and masks, depending on the state. And so those are the things that we're sort of kind of, you know, uh, playing with right now in terms of sort of when do we really get, you know, over the hill, if you will. Um, but but still, you know, a lot of great progress. I think that's a great perspective. And uh, you mentioned vaccines, and I know many of the states are now opening up the eligibility to all adult residents, and yet there continue to be some questions and, and hesitancies around the different types. So just wondering what your current thoughts are around um, the vaccines that are available um, as of this date for this recording, you know, it's April 2021. And, and in particular, um, what considerations are there around safety and effectiveness? Yeah, no, it's a great it's a great question because you know the the probably the two single biggest reasons as to why somebody doesn't want to take the vaccine is questions about safety or or you know or lack of trust at least in the process. And so, you know, and I I've been vaccinated and you know I had my my mother was sort of uh, you know not super interested in getting vaccinated and and I was able to convince her. And so you know, kind of going through my thought process. I think while the vaccines were, all the vaccines were developed, quote unquote, quickly, um, it was still done in a very rigorous way. The, the phase three studies enrolled thousands of patients, multiple countries, um, you know, relatively diverse populations. And the majority of sort of side effects that we really think about with vaccines in general, uh, the vast, vast majority happened within the first 48 hours to maybe a little bit longer to, to six weeks, but the vast majority happens very quickly. So from a short-term perspective, you know, we really haven't seen those types of signals that would be concerns, concerning. So we haven't seen an increased risk of death. We haven't seen an increased risk of allergic reactions, even though that was mentioned earlier on, it doesn't appear to be sort of um, vaccine related or above the normal. Um, we haven't seen an increased risk in neurological side effects. So. So in general, we've seen actually very, very good safety data with both the RNA vaccines, Moderna and Pfizer, and then um, with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine um, and the, um, uh, the AstraZeneca vaccine to a certain degree. Um, so from a safety perspective, just if you took at it, you know, look at it from a, from a holistic level, I think we have very safe um, and effective products. I think the you know the challenges now are sort of what do you do with sort of the occurrences that have sort of been reported now with both you know the clotting event seen with the AstraZeneca product and now clotting event with the Johnson Johnson product and and you know I think the the take home is when you when you do studies when you do a you know a real world experiment like this to a certain extent where you have vaccines going out to the population there are going to be things that are happening in the population that may not have anything to do with the vaccine but just happen to be somewhat coincidental. And so when you start to look at what we know about the clotting events, we know that it's very, very rare um, you know, from what we've seen. So for example, in the European Union, there've been around 100 or so clotting events that seem to occur in you know, relatively younger people, perhaps skewed more towards women. 
Um, and that's out of 20 to 25 million vaccinations. In the US, there have been six um, reported clotting events with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, um, and that's out of now 6 million doses. And so when you look at those, those odds, it is still an extremely rare event, and it's not clear yet whether this is something that is directly related to the vaccine or some, something about those vaccines, or uh, this is something that we would uh, see in the population. So that's we still have to see. I think you have to take everything very seriously, but I think the general thinking from a clinical perspective, and this has been voiced by the CDC and the FDA and the European Union, is that the the risk-benefit ratio still favors giving a vaccine. Um, and so that's what we know to date. And there's a lot of you know clinical reasons as to why potentially the J&J and AstraZeneca vaccines that use a similar um, platform, um, if you will, why that might be associated with that. But you know we don't know as much as of yet, but still still very rare. And, and to get back to your the initial question, I still think that you know at least the safety data has been overwhelmingly very good. You alluded earlier to some of the variant strains that we're now seeing uh, and the potential impact um, from a spreading uh, standpoint. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about those variants and if we should be worried? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, just to take a step back, when you think about a variant, a variant essentially is just a virus, the original strain that's mutating, and, and all viruses mutate. In fact, they're mutating constantly and it becomes a variant when that that particular mutation confers some sort of benefit to the virus and so the benefit we're seeing is that the virus is able to spread more easily and uh, so it's able to to take a toehold most of the mutations are happening within a specific protein in the in the in the in the virus um, the S protein area, which is really the way the virus attaches onto our cells. So whatever mutations are occurring there, it's conferring some sort of benefit for the virus to be able to live and live within us and, and you know, do its thing. Um, so that's, you know, that's in terms of just mutations, that's something that we expect. In the mutations, at least the mutated um, uh, strains that we've seen, these variants, there are three that have been, you know, thought to be concerning. One is a variant that was found in the UK. The other variant was uh, was first found in South Africa. And then there's a variant that's been reported in Brazil. And there's several other variants that have popped up in New York and California, but have not really kind of got a toehold yet. But what we've learned to date, and this is, you know, this is what's been challenging is that, you know, we're really looking at this from a data perspective, is that while um, they seem to spread more, and in fact, the UK variant is likely, if not already, the, is going to be the dominant strain in the United States. While it can spread more easily, it appears that the vaccines that we have currently are still very protective, particularly against hospitalization and death. And I think that's really important. And it seems like that also um, uh, confers to the variant that was found in South Africa. Um, in terms of other real-world data to support that, Israel was very aggressive as a country in vaccinating um, uh, their population. And even with these strains that were in that population and using the vaccines that we have, um, they've had considerable reductions in hospitalizations and death and the infection rates. And so that's why we're still very positive and also why we're, you know, as a community, we're really trying to aggressively get people vaccinated because you want to you want to try to jump on this while you have 
have an edge and that the viruses don't mutate to a point where they're not going to be, um, you know, combated effectively by the current vaccines. And then the last thing I'd say is that even even with that good news, the um, vaccine manufacturers are working on, um, you know, booster shots to really deal with these strains. And in fact, Moderna just released some data, I think it was this week or yesterday, I think, um, with regards to a booster shot that seems to have some really positive effects against um, the South African strain. So, and it's it's not inconceivable that the new vaccines in the future will likely have um, you know, multiple components to it that will combat not only the original strain, but also whatever variant is concerning to us. So, um, but, you know, but all in all, I think, you know, I think in general right now, um, you know, these, these seem to be pretty effective and we're not seeing too much in the way of sort of poor outcomes. And, you know, another big player in helping us to uh, get through this entire time period has really been the healthcare system. And uh, I know that they've had to adapt, and I anticipate that those changes will continue. Uh, can you maybe lend some insight into how you think the pandemic has uh, impacted healthcare delivery and what kind of trends you see continuing into the future? Yeah, you know, I think in general, you can look at this year as sort of accelerating healthcare transformation by 20 years, because a lot of the things that were quote unquote, you know, innovative and future states such as telehealth or digital health, um, you know, healthcare navigators or, you know, analytics where you're pre-predicting risk or, you know, curative therapies, all those sorts of things that were sort of next generation are really kind of coming into play play now, you know, um, telehealth was utilized quite significantly. Um, you know, digital health apps um, were utilized, uh, you know, for depression purposes, cognitive behavioral therapy, or, um, you know, symptom checkers, um, you know, so um, a lot of that actually sort of accelerated because of the pandemic has really changed sort of what the consumer is expecting. I think the consumer now expects a different type of care. They're expecting care that's on demand, that's a lot like uh, their Amazon or Uber experience. And I think clinicians also are starting to recognize that, you know what, maybe we need to really think about, you know, who we see and when do we see them. And perhaps we should be checking things more frequently with, you know, remote monitoring technologies or whatnot. So it certainly has made a big change. Um, I think the, I think the patient has become much more of the forefront of things. I think, you know, being able to be more pre-predictive and being able to look at somebody on a on more of a personalized basis seems to be sort of at the forefront. And, and you know, even, for example, before the pandemic, some of the themes that we really were focusing on, even as a company, was, you know, this drive towards using different data sets. So not only using pharmacy and medical claims, but why aren't we using genomic information? Why aren't we using social determinants? Why aren't we understanding, um, you know, parts of someone's life that maybe has a real, you know, impact in terms of sort of how they do or how they engage in their care. Um, so, you know, data is a big thing. And second is consumerism. And probably third, which ties into virtual health and digital health is this idea of what the front door of healthcare looks like. The You know, we're calling it the digital front door, that when I walk in through that door on the internet, um, somebody's going to be able to 
to deal with me in a way that makes sense. So if I have an ear infection, I probably don't need to see a nephrologist like myself. I might need to see a nurse and I might, that might need to be a virtual visit. It might be a scope that I have at home that I can actually look um, and, you know, sort of give that information back in a way that sort of makes sense. So, um, so that has, that has clearly accelerated. Um, and I think, you know, just, you know, from the perspective of what the expectation is, I think that bar has been, has been raised. Really is a silver lining to this uh, dark cloud of a pandemic. And I know that the employers that we are working with are very eager to see how that innovation will continue. And I think all of us, uh, whether from an organizational or individual level, are hopeful uh, that some of those trends around uh, accessibility and, and digital health will certainly continue. I think what the way you ended that was really excellent because, you know, to me, it really feels like the product offerings of the future have to be data-based and that, you know, there are multiple health plans, there are clinical providers that have really great solutions. And I think we have to sort of gear ourselves to more, how do we supercharge those solutions? So as a PBM, for example, there are insights that we have from our data and from our experience um, that might be really appropriate for a specific patient at a specific point in their journey and instead of sort of a, you know, a whole clinical solution, it might be that we're sharing an API with those data insights that helps, you know, a provider make a better decision or have a, you know, alert that really makes more sense, that's real time, that's bi-directional. So I agree with you. I mean, I think that 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 individual or personalized approach is is going to be something that I think is going to continue. Well, excellent, Dr. Wig. That is all the questions that I have today, and we have so appreciated your insights uh, and your continued guidance and leadership in overcoming the COVID-19 pandemic and really helping us to think about what our new normal might look like. Are there any final words that you'd like to leave with our audience today? No, well, I appreciate, first of all, I appreciate being involved. And, you know, I think, you know, for many of us, um, you know, and just even as a clinician, it's kind of, you know, you finally... I kind of felt more like a physician this year because whether it's, you know, work at the company or whether it's, you know, somebody calling you and concerned about whether they should, you know, go to their grandparents' house or, you know, whatever the case may be, I think that's, you know, that's been very rewarding this year. Thank you for listening to the Be Health Connected podcast. For additional episodes or to learn more about employer resources available through the St. Louis Area Business Health Coalition, please visit www.stlbhc.org.